Welcome to this edition of the SSPX Podcast, delivering sermons, lectures, and the spoken word from across the English-speaking world. This week, we'll be talking with Father about a few questions that our listeners submitted. Is it superstitious, Jansenistic, or pious to count our penances and prayers? Also, we'll talk with Father about whether or not it's okay to eat food that has been blessed in a false religion or gone through some custom of a false religion. And we'll dive into the relationship that faithful have with their pastors. Are we, as faithful, obliged to obey our pastors in everything that they say? Father will give his answers on these questions in the next 20 to 30 minutes. And in our archives, we have about a dozen other episodes. If you'd like to explore those, you can subscribe to this podcast. Just search SSPX on your favorite podcast catcher, like iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Android, or any other service, even Spotify. If you have a question you'd like answered, message it to us on our Facebook page or through the contact form on sspx.org. And as always, rating and reviewing the podcast helps us immensely. It allows us to reach an even broader audience with the beauty and truth of traditional Catholicism. With that said, let's dive into the questions, including the answer to the age-old question, is a pastrami sandwich better with mustard or without? Yes, we'll answer that and much more right now. Well, we are back with another edition of the SSPX podcast for another time with Father Paul Robinson. Hello, Father. How are you today? I'm doing well, Andrew. How about yourself? Doing well. We are uh, we are past past All Saints Day, and uh, it it always seems like a kind of a sprint towards the uh, towards Christmas time. Once once we hit that, yeah. Well, uh, we do have a few more questions for you, Father, and uh, one of them has to do with you. Well, not so much you, but but your uh, your state in life and 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 most of the relationships that that people have with uh, that lay people have with the priests is with their parish priest or their pastor. And one of our listeners asked about when the duty uh, starts and ends for a, a layperson to obey their pastor. So um, I know that in the religious life, you take a vow of obedience to your superior, uh, but as laity, we don't. But where, where is that obedience start and end with, with us, Father? Uh, if, if the parish priest tells you to do something, are you obliged under sin to do it? Well, Andrew, if I can make just make a distinction between uh, the parish priest and his, his running of the church institutions and the parish priest giving some advice to faithful for their personal life. I mean, when the priest is making up a soul, what have you, then obviously the, the faithful need to uh, submit to that. I mean, if the, if the priest says, for instance, you know, there, there must not be many spirits in, in the chapel. Well, I mean, uh, the, the, the faithful have to obey that. Um, or if, if he says, uh, he gives, lays down certain regulations for coffee and donuts after mass. Well, I mean, it's, it's his uh, position to uh, organize the way that things are conducted at that, at that chapel and the, and the faithful should respect that. Or to take another example, the, the, the sitting and the standing and, and the, the postures of the faithful during the mass. Um, they, they should follow whatever he uh, sets down for that. But as far as the priest giving advice for the way in which the faithful should um, manage their spiritual life or they, they should run their family life, 
Um, it's it's quite simply that it's it's advice of, of a spiritual father who hopefully has the interest of uh, the souls that that have been entrusted to him, and uh, the faith will go to the priest as as someone who understands the spiritual life and has a certain wisdom, and uh, the priest says, well, this is really what I think you should do in in this problem, perhaps regarding your your, your children or this issue that you're experiencing at home. Um, if you want to be have a holier home, you should you should do these things. You should uh, you know get rid of your TV or what have you. But uh, that's that's simply advice, and there's there's no moral obligation to follow that. It's not binding under pain of sin. So you could almost see the parish priest in a sense of a way that a manager is is running a, a business, so to speak, uh, when he's speaking about the the parish life, the church, the the runnings of of a parish, the runnings of a school. Uh, then, then you should o- obey uh, if you are in a position to carry out those those things. But when he's giving advice, it is just that. Yes, I mean he he has the power to govern the church, and governing the church does not mean going into homes and and uh, laying down the law for for the children in the house. <laughs> it right. means governing uh, the church structures. It, it means the governing the the areas where the the church is actually has her institutions. Um, now, I mean, that, that being said, obviously those people who would like to have a deeper spiritual life, typically they go to the priest and they ask the priest if he can be their spiritual director. And I, I know this is the case, for instance, in, in St. Mary's, um, where I spent the first year, three years of my priesthood. Sometimes people would, would approach me and, and say, Father, could you be my spiritual director? Just um, they would come to confession, and perhaps um, we would get to know one another over a certain period of time. And you know, in, in that case, there's there's a bit more of an obligation for the person to follow the advice of the priest. Um, there, there's no. It wouldn't make sense for the priest to be giving this spiritual advice and and being a director of, of the soul if the direction was not being taken. Um, there's not an absolute obligation for the soul to to follow the advice of the priest, but that's a closer relationship that the faithful forms with their their priest in order to reach a higher degree of of uh, spiritual sanctity. It approaches to some degree to that ideal of obedience that, that is followed by the religious. Uh, someone wants to put themselves under the direction of the priest and, and implicitly uh, binds himself to, to obey his, his direction for the purpose of uh, becoming holier. Now, th- th- there's a distinction, I guess, to be made, Father, which is uh, I- advice that a priest could give about whether or not something would be sinful or not. For instance, uh, at, at one of the talks given uh, by one of our priests, he said that parents who, for instance, give open access to the internet and a laptop to you know their 15, 16, 17-year-old, the, the parent could be guilty of, of sin uh, for, for doing that because they are giving their children the occasion of sin. So if a parent then goes back home and says, well, I disagree with that, I'm going to go ahead and give my 16-year-old a laptop and, and you know give them the Wi-Fi password, uh, that parent would not necessarily be guilty of disobeying the priest, but very probably would be guilty of the sin of, you know, uh, of that following sin that he warned against. So it's not so much about, well, I'm not going to listen to this priest or not. It's a matter of what the priest is telling me is sinful by by itself. That's a, that's a very good distinction to make. Uh, and uh, in, it's exactly correct that it, what the priest does as far as the things that go on at home is he 
helps the faithful form their conscience. He helps inform them as to what exactly is sinful and what is not sinful. And as you say, I mean, he doesn't have power to go into the home and, and enforce that. He's just trusting that the, the parents will um, understand his advice and will have the will to avoid sin. Um, but that would oblige their conscience in, in the sense that once they've been informed, uh, they are sort of expected in, in conscience to to realize that this is, in fact, sinful and uh, take the proper steps to to avoid that sin. All right. Very interesting. Well, thank you for that distinction, Father. I appreciate it. Um, moving on to a question that's not quite as heavy, but interesting nonetheless. And, and I, I have to admit, I'm not sure if the person who asked this was uh, being fully serious, but it's still kind of interesting. Uh, the questioner said, Father, this is vital in all capitals, vital. I live near a place where there's really good Middle Eastern food, but I'm pretty sure that it's halal, meaning it's food that's blessed by a Muslim cleric or an imam. Is it wrong to eat this food that's blessed by a Muslim <laughs> cleric? Please help. I really love kebabs. <laughs> uh, it's a perfectly understandable question. I mean, um, per, the question is obviously a, what we would call a foodie. Um, and yes, <laughs> I, I, I sympathize. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't right. want to have to give up more than he has to in becoming a Catholic. Sure, sure. So. You know, this, this question, uh, this humorous question, really reminds me of, of a situation that, that St. Paul faced with his Gentile converts, um, in which he specifically addressed with regards to the Corinthians. The, the Corinthians, of course, were uh, a pagan city. They were living in a pagan city, Corinth, in Greece, and they were new Catholics and wondering how they should integrate the Catholic life with the pagan society in which they lived. And they would go to the market and there would be certain foods that they would uh, be available for purchase that had obviously been uh, offered to, to idols. So there was a certain offering made to the gods, the Roman gods or the Greek gods before the food was put up for sale. Mm -hmm. And they were wondering, asking St. Paul, uh, is it okay for us to eat these foods that have been offered to false gods. Um, and this this situation was even worse when they would be present at a party. Perhaps they, they went over, their friend asked them to come over, the pagan friend asked them to come over to the house. They went over to the house and um, it was clear that, that the, the food that was being served at table what had been offered to the gods. So that makes it more difficult because it's not a question of you just choosing what you're going to eat, but the right. food is actually being presented to you. It makes it very awkward if you have to say, you know, look, sorry, I'm, I'm a Catholic, so I, I can't eat this food. St. Paul, he gives his answer in 1 Corinthians 8. Now, I'll just read this, this quote to you. He says, okay. as for food sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world. And that there is no God but one. And so what he's pointing out is that this blessing of the food or this offering of the food to idols is really meaningless uh, because the idols don't exist. There's, there's no such thing as Jupiter, uh, Mercury, you know, uh, Juno, and all, all these, these pagan gods. They don't exist. Uh, the idols are not real. And so the food's no different when it's been offered to idols as, as when it's not. Um, so it's not a problem to eat the food. So essentially, problem in conscience. So essentially, because it's 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 been blessed, or because it's gone through the proper uh, quote unquote proper customs of this of this other religion. And I guess we can make the same distinction with kosher food, uh, you know, a pastrami on rice sandwich or something like that. Uh, it, because it's done in that way, or blessed in that way, or gone through that religious practice. 
since it's a false religious practice, essentially, then it really has no bearing on whether or not it's uh, it's enjoyable or or edible by us. Yeah, and I, I mean, in application to this case, um, we would say there's there's only one God, and He's not Allah. Uh, Allah is not sure. not God. Uh, Allah is kind of like a creation of the Muslims, if anything, a certain distortion of of the true God, and so. Uh, Muslim imams have no power from the real God to bless food. And so their, their blessing really doesn't change the food. So it doesn't, it's not wrong to eat the food that they bless, but we just must not eat the food in such a way that we would seem to favor Islam in some way. I mean, if we went to um, an actual religious ceremony, we weren't eating in the context of a meal, but we were in uh, attending a religious ceremony of, of the Muslims or, or the Jews or what have you, um, you know, you had bagels at synagogue or something, and right, you're in the midst right. of a bar mitzvah, you know, and um, it, it's, it's, it, it, you're, you're eating of the food would indicate a certain union with their religious practices, a certain approval of the religious practices, of course, that would be wrong. Um, but if it's just a question, okay, I'm going to the store and I, I look at the package and there happens to be an indication that it's kosher or that it's halal, well, there's no problem uh, eating that food because there's there's no cooperation in in their religion or indication that you approve their religion. And and further, especially if it's just you're walking down the street and you happen to live in a big city and there's a kebab stand or you know kosher deli or something, it, I I think it would probably make sense that you wouldn't want to give scandal. You know, let's say that there's someone who's uh, who doesn't understand this and who thinks that maybe uh, this would be wrong. You probably wouldn't want it to be a source of scandal either. But uh, but regardless, there's nothing really wrong. With yeah, that. that's right. I, that, that's that's something else that St. Paul addresses. He says, look, um, if if your friend is scrupulous and your friend thinks that eating this food is, is somehow sinful and offensive to God, then then don't don't scandalize them by by eating this. I mean, um, so this indicates obviously there was a bit of a dispute in Corinth and there were some people who were saying, no, it's a mortal sin to eat this food. And others were saying, I don't think it's a big deal. Um, so St. Paul is saying, look, if you're in the presence of someone who, who really thinks that that uh, this is this is offensive to God, then then don't scandalize him by by eating the food. It's not wrong in itself, but just out of charity to him, sure. avoid eating the food. Yeah, but hopefully we're helping to to clear up any false scandal that might arise in eating that halal food or the kosher food. Right, exactly. Well, I'll, I'll join you. Do, do you like your pastrami with with or without mustard? <laughs> with the mustard, put put oh, on the mustard. See, that's that's the right answer. There we go. Well, <laughs> speaking of uh, speaking of someone who who may be a little scrupulous on on that end, um, let's maybe keep that train rolling a little bit and, and talk about um, being scrupulous in terms of our prayer life. Uh, one of our questioners said, can counting penances and prayers as done by St. Therese of the Child Jesus, I, I would assume in her early years, be considered uh, Jansenistic? Was this scruples or was this the beginning of sanctity? Uh, what, what do you say about counting your penances and prayers and so forth? To be honest, Andrew, I'm, I'm not, not familiar with this particular episode in the, in the life of the little flower, um, but yeah, I can say I can speak to this question in, in general, and that is that it's not really wrong in itself to count prayers. I mean, after all, that's that's what we've done so many times in our rosary crusades. I don't know 
We've had maybe six rosary crusades uh, where, where we count the rosaries and we present them to the Holy Father. Um, we also do that when, when we do spiritual bouquets. It's, it's a traditional practice for, for people to present um, a, as a gift uh, a certain spiritual bouquet where they indicate exactly how many prayers they will say and what, what are the types of those prayers. So um, this is not wrong in itself. Um, so, I, I mean, uh, in, in my mind, if, if, if we're asked by the church to, to count our sins, to keep a tally of, of our sins, um, and this is sometimes what people do in order to improve their examination of conscience. I mean, it's, it's obligatory for mortal sins. It's, uh, it's not obligatory for venial sins, but, but someone like St. Ignatius would recommend that you count specifically how many times you fall into your predominant fault and keep track of that every day. Um, so if we, if we count our sins, why, why would counting our prayers be wrong? So I, I think um, it's just important that we keep the balance. If, if we are going to, to count our prayers, um, we must not think the, that somehow counting our prayers is, is, uh, gives us a, a position to where we can demand something of God. It's like I, I said 15 rosaries, so sure. you've got to answer me on this. <laughs> <Right>. Or <laughs> somehow um, I've said this many prayers, and so that indicates how holy I am. And I, I mean, I pray, someone would say, I, I pray five rosaries a day. Therefore, I'm just super holy. I'm, I've, <laughs> I've reached the, the uh, seventh mansion of, of sanctity. Right. Um, so, so that that's definitely not the case. That 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 would be the spirit of someone just seeing prayer purely in terms of its externals, and not understanding that the real value of prayer is in the internal dispositions uh, in which we pray those prayers. So, that, yes, that's that's a good, that's a good distinction. I I heard Father McFarland say uh, recently. Father McFarland, who was on our last podcast, he said, uh, and maybe this ties into this a little bit. Uh, you know, if if you have so many holy cards and prayer cards in your missile that you need to hold it together with a rubber band, then you might be a little bit scrupulous and you might need to take a look at yourself. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, there's there's excess in everything. And, and that's that includes piety. We can become excessively pious. But there, there is a, a balance with our piety. Um, you can understand people uh, being attached to to their holy cards. But um not to the point to where you, they just splash all over the pew when you open your missile sure. and <laughs> cause a certain disturbance in the chapel. Yes, yeah. Well, but I mean, in the end, um, th there is there is something very human about counting the prayers. Um, let's face it, we we are limited, weak creatures, and we do need motivation sometimes to to move us to do spiritual things. And and counting prayers can be a track, a uh, means to 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 motivate ourselves to pray a bit more. Um, if we if we're keeping track of, of how many times we said our prayers, then um, we might we might derive from that a, a certain uh, spiritual satisfaction that, that can be an encouragement to us. Or at least it will help us know that yes, I am staying on top of of my prayers. My my prayer routine is is being fulfilled. Um, so in that side, it it can be advantageous. And you, there are some figures. Uh, I I think the the one that sticks out most in my mind is is Father Willie Doyle. He was an Irish priest, Jesuit priest, um, in who was a chaplain in World War One, and the Jesuits are 
are probably the religious order who is the biggest fans of counting prayers. But he counted his prayers, his his aspirations, and they got into the tens of thousands. And and, and even his biographer was scratching his head and, and uh, <laughs> wondering how he could count uh, so many uh, aspirations in a day, and even even wondering how it was humanly possible for him to say right. like t- he had over 10, 10 or 20,000 aspirations in a day. He's like, how is this humanly possible? Wow. Well, if you have a minute, father, I was wondering if, if, if we could maybe tangent a little bit and, and, and talk about scruples. Maybe this is something that, uh, that, that many of our listeners don't have an issue with it. And maybe m- most of us need, need help getting to that point before we need to worry about scruples. But if someone does have a, a scrupulous conscience or, or overly so, um, have you uh, worked with people t- in a way to to bring them back in? It, because it doesn't seem like you want to give advice to someone to not pray as much or not do so many things, because that seems like a slippery slope. How, how do you how do you rein that back in, so to speak? Um, I, I think every priest has had experience um, trying to help a scrupulous soul. The problem with a scrupulous soul is a problem of conscience. So uh, we all know from our catechism that there are different types of conscience. And this is just a description of our ability to judge what is a sin and what is not a sin. So you've got the lax conscience, someone who tends to judge things as not being sins when they are in fact sins. And you've got on the other extreme, the scrupulous conscience, someone who's tend to judge things being sins uh, when they're not sins. So in the middle is the tender or delicate conscience, someone who has an accurate judgment, who is able to properly assess what is a sin and what is not a sin. So for the scrupulous person, um, it, as I say, it's, it's quite uh, delicate to, to correct the judgment because um, the, the person is, is seeing sin everywhere. And um, what they tend to do is that whenever they are in doubt, they feel like it's safe to conclude that they've definitely committed the sin. It's like, right. have I or have I not fallen into this sin? Right. Have I or have I not fallen into mortal sin? And they, they turn it around and around and around. And they're in agony because it's not clear in their mind what they've done. And so they say, well, I think you know, just, yeah, definitely. I, I definitely, I think I definitely committed yeah. a mortal sin there. Yes, yes, I did. Um, in order to help such a soul, it's very important that the priest establish a certain relationship of trust with the soul. So, so the soul has to reach a point where it says, look, um, I'm really confused. I have this priest that I'm going to on a regular basis. And I'm just going to have to trust his judgment. And the priest must get to the point to where he says, look, you know, um, you just put everything on me, all the blame on me. I will judge for you what what is is sinful in this particular area of morality in which you're really confused. I will uh, you, you leave it to me to take the blame for for getting this wrong or, or, or getting this right. Um, so, for instance, uh, the, the, the priest could say, you know, you're not even going to confess uh, a certain type of sin. I don't want you to confess this, this type of sin. Um, I just want you to, to leave that aside and you consider your confessions to be valid, for instance. And then hopefully over time, slowly but surely, 
um, the the conscience gets corrected and and the person improves their judgment. So it's like anything else in that sense. It's it's sort of like training training in prayer life, but in that case, you're you're helping to form the conscience uh, a, a little more firmly. Yes. Uh, what what happens over time is that particular obsession uh, that the soul has with with the particular area of morality slowly becomes more balanced and uh, they they stop thinking about it all the time so by, by the priests sort of saying look just trust me on this we're, we're, we're not going to confess this we're we're not going to uh, bring this up anymore and so I don't want to I don't want to hear it from you anymore <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't talk to me about it anymore um, slowly but surely uh, yes that obsession goes away and and the person is able to um, sort of step aside from from that and see it from the outside and realize that no, I, I think I was I was getting just a, a bit a way overly anxious uh, about this particular thing, and I'm now able to see it much more in perspective. Thank you very much for that answer and and for the other ones. Um, as always, we appreciate your time so much, and hope things are going well down at the seminary for you. Thanks so much for having me on again, Andrew. I always enjoy it. Absolutely. All right. Have a wonderful week, Father. Thanks. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and rate the podcast so that more people can hear the beauty and truth of traditional Catholicism. For more news, resources, and updates, you can visit the U.S. District website at sspx.org or the English news website of the Society at fsspx.news.